Our speaker today is Cesar Jangharada, professor at the Singapore Institute of Technology and founder and director of Makerbay. Cesar's first real job was working in a glass-blowing studio. He also used to live in a yurt in the London Financial District and has sailed around the world. The very first version of his company Makerbay was built in a former chicken farm in Hong Kong. It is the first makerspace focused on social and environmental impact in Asia and is also the largest non-governmental makerspace in Hong Kong. From his entrepreneurial adventures and his passion for the environment, Cesar thinks science will not save us. Let's hear why. We all live in our own stories, in our own fantasy, if you will. But sometimes life happens and then it destroys or has to change your worldview. For me, this is the 20th of April, 2010, and the Deepwater Horizon, uh, the oil rig exploded, killing 11 people on the spot and creating the largest environmental catastrophe in the history of North America. If it happened in Singapore, it would have covered several times Singapore in this thick oil. And while this was happening, I was comfortably working in an R&D lab at MIT, but suddenly I was put in charge of developing alternative technology for cleaning up the BP oil spill. So it was a very big endeavor, but uh, suddenly uh, I also realized that what we were working was very expensive. It was going to be patented, and it was going to take a long time to develop. And so my life and my worldview had to change when I went to the field and trying to see this technology, how it, how it fare in the ground. And I want to show you this picture. Uh, this is the morning where we went to collect some oil spill samples. And you can see that the captain doesn't have legs. And so I very candidly asked him, because I'm a very blunt person sometimes, very candid, asked him, what happened to your legs? And he told me, well, five years ago, Katrina happened. And he was fishing on his ship. And the hurricane was you know, ha happening, and some heavy equipment fell on his leg and basically chopped one of his legs off. And he had multiple ships. Uh, so some of the other ships, some of his friends were captain, and most of them unfortunately died. And so after the hurricane, he was working day shifts and night shifts. And one night on the shrimping boat, he was so tired, he didn't pay attention, and his second leg got caught into a hoist, and he cut his second leg. And what he was telling me is that what is hard now is that since the BP oil spill started, environmental catastrophe means that they cannot fish anymore. And so now his only job, he can take people to do cleanup operation. But the hardest part for him was not even that. It was that just the day before, his best friend shot himself in the head. Because, because of the oil spill, he got sick with the oil, and then he couldn't make any more money. And so his wife and his children left him, and so he killed himself just the day before I met him. And so that moment, I realized that when you have an environmental catastrophe, you're destroying the foundation of people's life. And then they cannot keep their social families, they, they cannot, the social structure together, and they cannot maintain technology. And so money is just one form of technology. And so for me, then it became clear that actually my worldview was completely wrong because I was focused on developing, um, trying to make money, developing technology for people, and maybe doing something okay for the environment. So this is when I realized maybe my worldview is completely wrong. And if you think about it, this kind of worldview is leading us to most of the problem we have today. We're depleting the environment that destroy our social fabric, and eventually, you know, it's going to bite us in the back. And so I had to, I made a vow that day 
that if I was going to continue to be a researcher and entrepreneur, I was going to try to really do a business in the way that actually the world works, trying to do something with priority with the environment. And I want to show you, and I want to show you some example of that. So when we speak about uh, Hong Kong, uh, generally we talk about it in the context of the Greater Bay. I just moved from Hong Kong to Singapore just a year ago, but actually the Greater Bay is not the name of the place. The original name of the place is the Pearl River Delta. Pearl River Delta because of pearls, because of pearls, uh, oyster pearls. This place used to be full of oysters. There were so many oysters in Hong Kong that we had to just dig them out just to let the ship go through. And now we only have a slivers of oysters in Hong Kong. And if we keep killing them, we are going to be removing the main thing that was keeping the water clean. Because one Hong Kong oyster can filter more than 100 liters of water. And they are oyster uh, reef builders, so they also protect biodiversity. And so, unfortunately, next to Professor Ran Jan of HKU is the youngest oyster farmer in Hong Kong. He's already over 60 years old. And so this is a sunset industry. When this uh, gentleman goes to retire, there's nobody to actually like, cultivate oysters. So the keystone species in the Pearl River Delta is basically going away. So with a group of researchers, local oyster farmers, students, artists, we worked together uh, to actually develop an oyster hatchery. And the idea was to build a giant oyster that could live inside the community, and that would be also a piece of art that people would be proud of, that they could recognize themselves. And they could continue to cultivate and produce hatcheries, uh, hatches of, of oyster so they can be replanted and eventually clean up the water again. But because we were afraid of typhoon, we didn't want to use those chemical batteries. So we started to investigate the production of hydrogen on board. So what I wanted to show you here is that here what we're looking at is before, I used to think that you know, science is more important than art. You know? Knowledge is more important than creativity. But it turns out that if you want to be a great scientist, you have to be cre incredibly creative. If you want to be a great artist, you have to know your, your, your science for most of the art. You have to know your craft. Second experiment is what I've been doing recently in Bali. In Indonesia, uh, uh, just about one year later, we wanted to keep investigating this production of uh, micro-hydrogen. So we built these floating solar hydrogen uh, units. And so this is enough to produce a little bit of hydrogen to save about half of the money that uh, a fisherman family would use in gas and electricity. And uh, the idea is that we produce hydrogen from electrolysis, and then we transport it back to the land, and we can use it to replace the fuel for transportation, electricity, and also gas for cooking. And you can do this pretty much infinitely. It will be the cleanest sort of energy that is out there. We continue to discuss with the local farmers, and they were so excited. Now, now they want not to build just one family. They actually want to transform the whole village in a hydrogen banjar in Bali. And so we build models to agree on the design of the details and materials and how to respect the tradition and the religion uh, in Bali. And this is what we have right now. So we're trying to build this right now. And we're going to be working uh, on trying to develop green hydrogen that does not create any pollution, that is uh, also uh, pumping the oxygen on the water to help with the mangrove, and that is also being locally owned. So that's also going to create jobs locally. So it's also local ownership. And so we can imagine that that could be quite scalable. The ocean is big. Hydrogen is the most abundant uh, element in the universe. And solar is now the cheapest source of electricity. And so we think that this technology is quite scalable. And so we can also see that starting from looking at environment, we can actually also build a business case eventually. And so here, the key point I would like to, to, you to take away is that this whole technology is open source. We're developing everything transparently. You can go on a website, you can see that everything is there, and we invite people to compete and to, and to copy us. 
The last one is I just came back last week from the Philippines. You probably know the International, Oceans, uh, International Space Station. I know this sounds like a very uh, grand idea, but what if we had International Ocean Station? What would it look like? And so instead of you know, looking at elite people, I spent two weeks on the beach in a coastal community working with garbage cleaners, with the indigenous people, with the elderly women, children, uh, and, and you know, the tourist industry, because it's very huge in Bali, uh, the local students, and uh, we, we got so many incredible stories of what they imagined it would be for them. The elderly were talking about, you know, they want to have a clean source of energy. The fishermen wanted to have a shelter. The women wanted to have a place to process the fish before they can sell it on the market. Everybody started to pitch in what they could see. The scientific instrument could also serve them in a practical way so they could improve their livelihood, not just doing some abstract science, but something real. And so eventually, uh, instead of having these, um, you know, big elitists, uh, product, we started to classify them and seeing what function they could fulfill. And this is just from last week. We built this large model and it's being installed right now and will be open Monday evening at the Mind uh, Museum, the Science Museum uh, in Manila, and presented to the Navy and the Coast Guard to try to see if, how we could build this for real. And so the vision here is instead of one expensive um, uh, international space station, we could have thousands for the same price. And instead of just looking at climate change, we could locally develop solutions for climate change in all these local places and create livelihood for the local people. And so here, what the takeaway is that we cannot have just a centralized ownership, but we can have decentralized ownership and you know, allow people to participate and, and really own and earn from this. So the, the title was a little bit clickbait. It's not that science will not save us, it's that science alone will not save us. Of course, we need science, we need knowledge, but more importantly, we need to have the imagination to think where we could go. And we also need to think of inclusivity, how it's not just going to benefit us, but how it's going to really benefit the people on the ground. If we do this, I think, then we are poised for success, just, not just for ourselves, but also for the climate, for the bigger picture. And so you are very powerful people. You are working in the business world. And what I hope is that I can invite you to change yourself, not to think how we can do a little less bad, but how we can start to think first from the environment, and then build a business case around it. I've been uh, experiencing that it is totally possible and actually even more profitable to take these different starting points. It is challenging, it's a new worldview, but I believe that this is the way that we can invest in what is the foundation of life. Thank you very much.